KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. Recycling has been a part of everyday life now for a long time, but are we getting it right? Does household recycling really make a difference when it comes to curbing waste and helping the environment? Could we be doing more? For this discussion, we caught up with Dr. Ronald Mursky, professor and chair of civil engineering at Widener University. So to start, I want to talk about home recycling. Overall, how would you kind of characterize the the current state of recycling efforts right now? I would say that unsettled is probably a really good word to describe it. Uh, Recycling, as we now practice it, has been around for about 30 years. Uh, Of course, recycling goes back thousands of years. People have always used unwanted material for some new purpose or another. It's about 30, maybe 35 years now that we've been using recycling specifically as a waste management tool, a way not only of getting usable waste materials back into the economy, but also reducing the environmental impact, looking for economic benefits and other things that previously were not viewed as simply part of the market economy that says, hey, secondary materials have value. And the early years were learning years. There was this whole curve of learning how do people respond to information? How do you how do you train the public what to recycle, why to recycle, and so forth. And I'd say by the late 1990s, maybe 25 years ago or so, we reached a fairly stable point. Recycling was established. We knew what we were doing. We were successful with it. We were diverting greater and greater percentages of our waste from the traditional ways of disposing of waste. And um, it was kind of a status quo with gradual improvements. What's happened perhaps in the last five or six years is that a variety of international and economic factors have introduced some instability into that very calm status quo that we had. One big one, of course, was exports to China, which was a major, major consumer of our recyclables. And now the Chinese are more reluctant to take material, especially material that has contamination, things in the recycled bales that shouldn't be there. In addition, we're also facing a lot of economic situations. Labor costs and recycling is, of course, very labor intensive. Um, We're also finding that as the economy is going through its own issues post-COVID, there's not necessarily the stable markets we used to have for certain materials. So again, I think unsettled is where we are now. Uh, I think most people in the recycling industry would like to go back to where we were six, seven years ago, where things were fairly stable. We knew what we were doing, but I'm not sure what we're going to be seeing over the next couple of years and when we will get to a stability and whether it will be the old stability or some new scenario that we have. So I'm curious, in addition to everything you laid out very clearly there, how much of a factor is the fact that when you talk about those stable times when it comes to recycling, I, you know, it just seemed like we were dealing with a lot of paper, specifically newspapers and a lot of glass bottles. And these were things that were, you know, kind of easily taken care of. We knew how to deal with. And now those things have plummeted as far as how much we utilize them. And now you're talking a lot of plastics and a lot of uh, electronic waste. 
How much does just kind of the changing of society and what we utilize, how much does that factor into maybe where we're not getting where we need to recycling wise? You're correct, in my opinion, in that the the materials that we're focusing on have shifted in recent years. And part of that is due to the fact that the components that make up our municipal solid waste stream have changed over time. Um, I think for the public, when someone thinks about recycling, they think of waste as a whole, as, as one substance, but it's not. Municipal solid waste is very complex. It's made up from many, many different materials. You mentioned paper, you mentioned glass. From a recycling viewpoint, even those are not individual materials. So for example, if you want to recycle glass, you have to separate it by color. You can't take the clear glass or what's known in the industry as flint glass and mix it with green or with brown called amber in the industry. You have to separate them out for recycling. So even glass is not a single material. Paper is not a single material. You have things such as corrugated paper. You have things such as newsprint, which is a very low quality type of paper. It's not intended to last very long. So with dozens of different types of paper, many different types of glass, plastics, metals, there really are, if you come come down to it from a recycling viewpoint, many, many, many dozens of different individual materials. And over time, the percentage of those materials in our municipal solid waste stream varies. So you mentioned paper, which is a great example. Paper has been going down steadily for the last 30 years as a percentage of the total solid waste stream. Why? We're not getting as many newspapers. We're not getting as many reports. Things are being done electronically. Glass, which you pointed out, also a great example. Things that previously were packaged in glass are now packaged primarily in plastics, sometimes in paper, paper metal combinations. So uh, glass is being replaced by other materials which are newer on the scene. And so that's one reason why we don't need to emphasize those materials as well, or as much as we used to. But a second reason is that as we have more maturity in recycling certain materials, as we have a greater and greater percentage of paper, glass, steel, et cetera, being recycled, we then begin to look at what is left in the waste stream. What haven't we targeted already? And perhaps now we should. So you mentioned waste electronics and electrical equipment, very big growth area. Partly it's because, yes, more and more of that is being generated. We have more cell phones, we have more televisions, we have more monitors, et cetera, all going into the waste stream. And so, yes, that is growing, but it's also another area that many years ago was not heavily targeted. Plus, there are also certain economic and environmental concerns about the waste electronics, which we didn't have with paper and glass. Right now, it seems to me that the the next big thing in recycling is going to be food waste. And many people don't like to use the term recycling for food waste because it's handled in a different way. Um, Rather than going into um, a traditional waste sorting facility where it's then uh, separated into individual components, because food waste has concerns of animals, insects, decay, odor, et cetera, it's handled separately, either by composting or advanced composting techniques, things that have names like anaerobic digestion and so forth. 
But what I'm seeing in terms of uh, research publications, conversations at conferences and so forth is that food waste is, I think, where communities are more and more going to be targeting their interests. Not because food waste is necessarily changing that greatly in terms of the quantity, but rather because it's another area. It's the next large area that we haven't looked at previously, and now we we can and we probably should. Where are we making the most or where are we the most effective when it comes to recycling? We, I mean, we talked about paper, glass, plastic. Is there uh, something that stands above the rest that we really do a very good job of taking a lot of what we discard and finding a second use for it? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, there's certain that, that certain materials that really, really stand out. So looking at paper, right now, we are diverting about two-thirds of the paper that is wasted in the U.S. every year to recycling, meaning it's not going to landfill and it's not going to burning with energy recovery, the more traditional ways of handling waste. It is being recycled. On the other hand, when it comes to uh, plastics, we're hovering maybe around 5%, which is a very low percentage there. Um, steel. Steel is something which is very, very highly recycled, and that's good. Um, lead batteries, the ones used in automobiles or marine uses, uh, ships, uh, ships, small boats, for example, using them, those are almost 100% being recycled. And the reasons why we succeed more with one material versus another are due, first of all, to collectability. How easy and economic is it for us to to recover those materials at the source before they get mixed into the general waste stream? But it's also a matter of whether we have an economically mature industry that can accept those materials. So in the case of paper, paper products and all of those different papers that I mentioned before, those are generally very easily separated and collected as opposed to being mixed in with general waste. Paper, yes, much of it is still in newsprint, newspapers, magazines. A lot of it is what we call junk mail, the things that we get unsolicited in our mailbox every day. Much of it is business reports. And these are usually naturally segregated in the way that individuals, as well as people in offices, people in stores and institutions handle them. So the separation at source and collection is very, very easy at that point. In addition, Those materials, those paper materials, generally don't have problems with decay, odor, and other things that might happen with, for example, food uh, packaging. So as a result, they're easy to collect. Um, In terms of the marketing, it wasn't always that way. Uh, If you go back to the late 1980s, we did not have in the United States much of a structure, for example, for recycling newsprint. But over time, we developed that because we had such a supply of recycled material that the industry had to develop in order to accept it. So even at the other end now, we have a very good, stable uh, industrial base for accepting those materials that are paper-based. When you look at plastics, um, there are a number of of issues that make it more difficult to recycle plastics. One thing to remember is that, as I said about metals and paper and glass, plastics are a diverse group of materials. Some of them, there is a good established recycling infrastructure there. 
This would be, for example, polyethylene terephthalate, which is the recycling number one that you see on many packaging materials there. Um, commonly used in things such as soda bottles, um, occasionally in uh, things like microwavable food trays and so forth. Um, polyethylene, especially high and low density polyethylene, which we use for a lot of our packaging material, laundry bottles, um, many, but not all uh, milk type bottles, things of that sort. There's a good established industry there. When it comes to things such as polystyrene, what we commonly call by the brand name styrofoam, the industry is not quite as well established there. But a big issue for plastics in general is density. Plastics are very light. Most plastics that we just that I just mentioned are containers, bottles, and those bottles are large, but they don't weigh very much because there's a lot of airspace in them. And it's not something which you can, as a consumer, actually crush and keep crushed. If you try crushing a soda bottle, it's going to fight back because it's designed to do so. And so as a result, the collection of plastics tends to be on a per pound basis, very expensive compared to, for example, paper, which is stackable and therefore very, very dense. You get a lot of pounds of paper in a cubic foot. You don't get very much plastic there. And so because transportation is such a significant part of the recycling business, plastics have an economic disadvantage in that, in that respect. Um, there's also an issue, of course, of, sep of separating the individual components. So you take, for example, your soda bottle. The soda bottle might be, as I mentioned, poly uh, the PET, as we call it, polyethylene terephthalate. But the cap on it might be something else, perhaps another plastic known as polypropylene. And the label itself might be something else. So there's also the need to have a, an economic, technical, technologically um, viable method of separating out the individual components there as well. So this is just a, a small introduction, but there's a lot of complexity at both the collection and the recycling, meaning remanufacturing end of different materials. And that largely accounts for the differences in the recycling rates. Should we be asking more of individual households? Because I think most people get it and want to make a good faith effort. But, you know, I know we've got one recycling bin and we're pretty good about, you know, putting the stuff that should be in there. But we're not asked to separate it and we throw it all in there. And, you know, all it takes is one mistake with the, you know, a, an iced coffee cup that's got iced coffee in it. And I'm sure it, you know, it gets all over everything. Uh, should individual municipalities, cities, boroughs be asking their people, maybe give them four or five different smaller containers and, you know, you, you want the amber glass in here, you want the clear glass in here, paper in here, uh, is it a little naive to think that most people would go along with that? Or would we kind of go down the same road we did when we kind of started recycling 30, 35 years ago, where at first people would be like, I'm not doing that. But it eventually becomes, you know, just kind of the lay of the land. There isn't an absolute answer to that, because the real the real solution is often very local based on local culture, as well as things as simple as even the way that housing is established in different areas. So to give you um, an example from history, which you already mentioned, 
35 years ago, in the early days of recycling, we typically asked residents to have three different recyclable containers. One would be for paper products. One would be for um, a combination of metals and, and um, metal-related packaging, uh, possibly glass in there. And then maybe the third would be glass. And then in some communities, glass and plastic. And the reason for this goes back to what I, I guess, mentioned a few times or alluded to a few times, and that is the need to separate out materials. So when you put all of your recyclables into one container, and that's commonly known by two names, either commingled collection or single stream collection. It's kind of a regional difference, which of those terms is used. But when you do that, eventually separation has to be done. So you're going to have your commingled or single stream recyclables from that one bin going to what we commonly call a MRF, MRF, Materials Recycling Facility. And at that facility, your plastics are going to be separated from your metals, from your paper, from your glass, or any other materials that might be acceptable in your program. The metals are then going to be further separated into those that contain steel, the ferrous metals, those that are predominantly aluminum, and perhaps others that might be in there as well. Your papers are going to be separated into a variety of different categories. Your plastics will be separated into a variety of different categories. Back in the days when we had three different containers for our, uh, for our residents to use for recycling separation, essentially what happened is some of that effort of separation was put on the resident. It made it somewhat less expensive at the MRF to do that separation because you already had it started. And that was great from an economic viewpoint from operating the MRF, but from the resident's viewpoint, it was more work. So what we found over the years is that residents pretty much entirely want to have the easiest possible recycling. And certainly going to one bin does that. It just means that now more of the burden and therefore more of the economic expense goes on to the MRF. So economically, it's better to have residents do as much separation as possible. But then will the residents comply? Will the residents not be happy? And let's face it, residents have other things to do with their time as well as, as separating out waste. So I think what we're going to be seeing in most places in the U.S., which are what I would say heavily developed, densely populated, I think we're still going to see the single stream commingled for the future. Now, in more rural areas, there seems to be less resistance to separation into multiple categories. One of the reasons is that in more rural areas, you do not have curbside collection for waste at all. Residents are required to take their trash, whether it's recyclable or non-recyclable, whatever the materials are, put it into their vehicle and drive to a convenience station, which might be a few miles away. And at that point, at the convenience station, very commonly, you will have one container for the non-recyclables, and then you will have glass, you will have plastic, you will have metal, sometimes much, much more separation. Your metals might be the ferrous, the aluminum, and the other, and so forth. And there seems to be less resistance in those areas, possibly because people are already making that effort. They have to actually drive somewhere anyhow, and so it doesn't seem to be as as onerous a burden on people to have to do that separation. 
If you go to other countries, you'll also see a very, very broad range of, of approaches. In some countries, it's not uncommon to have 10 different bins for people to place recyclable materials into, simply because culturally, people there understand it's for the common good, uh, and the culture there says we are going to do that. We need to take a break. We will continue our conversation on recycling with Dr. Ronald Mursky right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. And we are back. Our guest on KYW News Radio in depth, Dr. Ronald Mursky of Widener University, as we talk recycling. I guess my next question is Are we making a difference with our recycling? Because it's, and I don't say this flippantly, but you try to do the right thing, you try to take care of your individual stuff. And then you read about a, a pipeline that bursts and it throws hundreds of millions of gallons of oil into a lake or into an ocean. And it's just, it can be overwhelming. And you kind of look at, you know, my goodness, is throwing this newspaper in the right bin going to make a difference when this is happening on a, you know, a, a country or, or global level? Is th th Does our household recycling really make a difference? The answer is yes but not a very, very large difference in terms of our overall environmental situation on the planet today. Um, if, if we look at the environmental issues that we face today, there's a historical progression of what we are concerned about. So when we first began to notice environmental problems in the late 1800s, we were very much focused on the concept that's called sanitation. Essentially, we wanted to take water, we wanted to take sewage, which was not always collected, if you remember, but we don't remember personally, but from history back in those days, we wanted to get it away from people where it can cause disease, where it can cause unpleasant odors and just generally make the quality of life worse. Over time, we began to realize that different types of pollutants, air pollutants, water pollutants, noise pollution, and in the case of waste management, it's really land pollution when it's not handled correctly, we began to notice that those can cause health problems. And that was our focus. And now what we're focused on, and we have been really for the past decade or more, is the concept of climate change. And much of this is because over time, we notice more and more problems that may have always been there, but either we were not aware of them or they hadn't reached the point of being at a certain severity level that it really made, it made its way into the public's consciousness. So looking at global warming, climate change, which is our, our, I guess, our major concern, at least in the public's mind today, recycling does have an effect. Interestingly, it varies considerably by material. And one of the reasons for this is that certain materials if, or certain, let's say, products that we use as consumers, if we make them from virgin raw materials, we often have to, in some, for some materials, exert a great deal of energy. And energy is one of the main sources of climate change because there's almost always some kind of carbon emission that goes along with that. Other materials, the production isn't really that, that uh, greenhouse gas intensive, so we don't get as much bang for the buck in carbon reduction for recycling those materials. Um, we also need to look beyond just global warming at materials availability. Um, many materials are 
becoming more and more difficult to find. If we look at copper, for example, a um, hundred years ago, if you were mining co copper, you wanted to find an ore with one and a half percent copper in it. Now, one third of that is a pretty good ore because we don't have as much of the high grade ores available. So when you recycle, you eliminate much of that difficulty, much of that concern, because you're taking a material which otherwise would just be a waste product and using that in place of the virgin raw material. So looking at all of these areas of environmental concern, recycling does have an impact. It's difficult for the individual resident, the individual business to determine how much of an impact their personal recycling is going to have. And one of the reasons goes back to the complexity of different materials. So recycling aluminum, that's something which has a really, really good environmental impact, both in conserving materials and in conserving energy. On the other hand, are you recycling paper? Paper as a whole has the greatest impact, recycling the paper, the greatest impact on reducing um, carbon emissions, but that's largely because we recycle more of it than any other. Another issue to consider besides just which materials are in your waste is how does your community manage that waste? So if the materials are going to a landfill, then essentially they're gone. They're in the landfill, that's it. They're not going to be used again, probably. But many communities burn their waste. Now, burning waste is, of course, very controversial because there are emissions that come out of the, uh, the plants, but you're recovering energy from that. If you burn, for example, most plastics, they are a great source of fuel and they burn very, very cleanly. So what you're doing often is by burning plastics is you're burning something that is cleaner than perhaps coal, which is the alternative in your local area. And again, that varies from one place to another. But if you burn trash in an area where most of the electricity is still being produced from coal, then it's probably environmentally better to burn the plastic than to recycle it because of what you avoid in additional coal burning there. So for, as I said, an individual, it's almost impossible unless you want to sit down and spend a few days doing research and calculations to say, I am making this much of a difference by my own personal recycling. What we can say is for the country as a whole, there is a net environmental benefit carbon reduction, materials availability, and so forth. So we do know that as a whole, recycling is of use. But I think what your question was really getting at was how much are we benefiting from the recycling? And compared to the overall environmental issues that we face in the world today, recycling is a small to moderate benefit, in my opinion. It's not one of the really, really big areas where we can make a difference. And this brings up one of my own personal views on recycling. And I can say that it's not one which is necessarily uniformly accepted by all recyclers, although many will tell me privately, I think you're right. And that is, I think that recycling should be based on economic considerations first and let the market decide what is going to then be the, the result. So for example, if you are the solid waste manager, the public works administrator of a small town, and you have to make a decision, 
Should we add another material to our recycling program? Perhaps we're recycling three things now. Do we want to add on another material or not? I think it should be an economic decision. If it's going to save you money by recycling, if the cost of collecting the material, processing it, whatever value you get for selling that material to someone who will process it, if that outweighs whatever costs are involved in, if the costs outweigh the benefits, then go ahead and do it. Otherwise, don't. Now, why do I say this? Because resources, including economic resources, time resources that we invest in environmental protection are limited. Going back to the discussion a few minutes ago, why don't we have multiple containers rather than co-mingling for collecting recycling? People only want to spend a certain amount of time on recycling, on environmental protection. They have other things to do. Your municipality only has a certain amount of, t- of, of dollars that it can spend on environmental protection. It has to maintain the libraries and the fire department and the streets and so forth. My feeling is that while recycling does have an environmental benefit, there are many, many places we can get much more bang for the buck in environmental protection. One would be uh, switching energy production, for example, to more carbon neutral sources of energy production. And yes, we think about solar, we think about wind. There's also geothermal. There's also energy reduction by, by improving efficiency, replacing old equipment with new equipment, uh, investments in mass transit. So my personal feeling is that if you want to recycle to help the environment or for any other reason, do it if it makes economic sense. If not, take those dollars that you would put into additional recycling, perhaps on adding an uneconomically recyclable material into your mix and put them into some other area. Perhaps what a municipality needs is an environmental fund where a certain percentage of their budget will go to environmental protection. Put it into mass transit. Put it into improving the efficiency of your vehicle fleet, the efficiency of your HVAC system in municipal buildings, whatever the case may be. And again, so that's my feeling, that if recycling is guided by economics, we would end up having a system which overall is better for the environment because we would be getting a, a greater return on our investment. You know, we focused mostly this discussion on households because uh, I think that's the easiest thing for people to kind of get their arms around. And I'm going to paint with a broad brush here. But how sure. about corporate America? You know, you, you hear there's a lot of, a lot of companies talk about the importance and, you know, what they strive for. But when the rubber hits the road, is corporate America doing its part when it comes to recycling? I, I think overall the answer is yes. And not necessarily because of corporate responsibility, but rather because of bottom line. So going back to the the early days of modern recycling, the late 1980s through the late 1990s, businesses really took the lead much more than did individual households. And the reason was economic. Let's think about how solid waste is paid for. It's a utility in effect. It's just like your electricity, except electricity, something comes to you and you pay for it. Solid waste, well, your trash is taken away from you, but it has to be paid for. And in the early days of recycling, we had what I would call a socialist approach to solid waste management in most residential communities, meaning there was not a specific charge for the amount of waste being produced. 
your household perhaps never even had a solid waste fee in the 1990s. Rather, it was your general tax budget. Just like the budget paid for the streets and the library, it also paid for collecting your waste and for doing whatever happened afterwards, burning it, landfilling, and maybe even recycling it. What that meant is there was no economic incentive for residents to reduce the amount of waste that's going to landfills or wherever it happened to be. On the other hand, businesses pay by the amount of waste they produce. So a typical business is going to have a, a, uh, a hauler, a waste hauler, with whom they have a contract. That hauler is going to say, I'm giving you a container. It holds eight cubic yards of waste, 10 cubic yards of waste, whatever the case may be. And I'm going to empty it three times a week, every day, twice a day, depends on your contract. So what that means is the greater the volume of waste a business is disposing of, the more they're going to pay. Well, in the late 1980s and 1990s, the cost of solid waste management went up dramatically. The amount that businesses were paying per cubic yard of waste that was picked up and then taken away wherever it went, that went up on a dollar per cubic yard or dollar per ton basis. Businesses are very sensitive to this. So what businesses found is that one, if they reduced the amount of waste they were producing, they would save a lot of money. Or two, if they could recycle material and it was more economical because the recyclable material perhaps be sold or given away as opposed to having to pay for it to be taken away, they would save money. So we saw a great amount of waste reduction and also recycling at the business end before we really saw it in individual homes. Now, today, many municipalities or solid waste authorities are charging by the amount produced. So it's very common today that your municipality will charge you $200 a year if you have two small containers of trash collected a week, but you'll pay $300 if you have four containers and so forth. And recyclables are usually no charge at all. So in recent times, we're seeing more and more economic incentive for homeowners to residents to be recycling or reducing the amount of waste that they have in the first place. But businesses, I think, really caught on first. Going to what we're seeing now, we're seeing that some businesses are claiming that they are going to be zero waste. They will have nothing going to a landfill or burning with energy recovery facility in the future. Um, it is doable. And some businesses have gotten there. But I don't think it's something which, with our current technology and our current markets for recyclables, is something which most businesses can do. And very often, it requires um, a certain amount of effort and cost, which may actually hurt the environment in some cases. So in other words, you may have a particular material, you want to recycle it, but it could be that whatever the transportation and separation process is for that material could be more damaging to the environment than simply putting it into a landfill. One of the concerns I, I've always had with recycling goals, whether it's zero waste or just saying we're going to recycle 30%, 50%, et cetera, is that once you set that goal and you have to meet the goal, you feel that you are compelled to do so, even if it is not environmentally the best way to go. So the, the, this is kind of a, a, a very broad and very wide answer to what you asked. But the answer is, I do think that businesses are doing their part. 
because it is in their economic interest to do so. And then as far as those who are doing it because it's the right thing, that varies across the board from one corporation to another. And my final question, you talked earlier about food waste and how we could be that could there could be a lot of progress there. Is there a technology that we or the a technological concept that if we can figure it out, it would be kind of the next big breakthrough in recycling? With respect to food waste, the technologies are there. All of the technologies dealing with food waste have to do with what we call stabilization of the waste, which essentially means taking the organic carbon. And I know this is kind of maybe bringing back, you know, bad memories of high school chemistry here. So I apologize. But you take the organic carbon that is in the food waste and you allow microorganisms to consume it. And once that is done, the the food is stable. It can be used as a compost, a soil conditioner, a variety of similar types of, 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 um, of functions it can, it can provide. And traditionally, this is done by open air composting. More and more, we're seeing what's called anaerobic digestion. Very similar, except instead of allowing it to be done in open air, it's done in an enclosed uh, environment where you have uh, microorganisms that are anaerobic, that don't need oxygen, which consume the, the carbon in the food waste. And there are some advantages to that. One of them being that those anaerobic microorganisms produce methane, which then can be burned as a fuel. Ultimately, that carbon is going to end up in the atmosphere as carbon dioxide, which has a concern as a greenhouse gas. But that doesn't matter if it goes into a landfill, if it goes through composting or anaerobic digestion. In any case, there's only one place that carbon is going to end up, and that is in the atmosphere as CO2. But if we can then produce or first produce methane as an intermediate product and produce energy from it, and then it becomes carbon dioxide, what we've done is offset the need to burn something else. So that's a really, really good area. The primary um, obstacle to food waste collection in the U.S., and I think in many other countries, has been concerns about attracting rodents, insects, odors, things that can happen when you have food waste as a whole in separate containers. Um, but other countries have found a way to do this uh, to collect very well. It's a matter of educating the public mostly. Um, about eight years ago, I actually spent three months in the city of Haifa, Israel, doing a pilot, uh, doing research on a pilot study they had for food waste. And the collection was wonderful. People wrapped their food very well in plastic bags. Um, there were no rodents, no odor problems coming out of the containers. It really can be done. And I can tell you that in the early days of recycling, in the late 1980s, I had a lot of questions from solid waste managers in different communities. How can I get my people to do this? They're not going to spend their time putting their waste into multiple containers. They just want it to all go into the one trash can. But we learned you can educate the public, and it really wasn't that hard. And I think the same can be done with food waste as well. And I know I said that was last question, but I've got another one. Okay. Is there overall, you know, we talked about only 5% of plastics, uh, we, you know, electronic waste. Is there 
is there a breakthrough we're waiting for on any front that would really unlock kind of maybe the next step of recycling? Does that make sense? Like, is there uh, yes. something that we're falling that we, we don't maybe quite get, or we haven't perfected. And once we do, whenever that is, it will maybe not a game changer, but make a significant difference. The one thing that could make recycling jump ahead greatly would be if consumer products consisted of only one material, or if they were multiple materials, if they could be easily separated by the consumer. Um, I mentioned, for example, the soda bottle, which has multiple different types of plastics in it. And there are ways that a MRF does do the separation of materials, but if it could be done at an earlier stage or not have to be done, that would be a big breakthrough. But I don't see that happening. The reason why we have complex materials, either for packaging, which is a large part of our recycling, or for durable goods, is that they make sense. They serve the purpose of that packaging very well. And I'm not a major advocate of redesigning a product for recycling if it's going to reduce the quality of the product. From a waste management viewpoint, ultimately what happens in those cases is the products tend to fail. You produce more waste. The food or whatever it is that the product is containing is likely to be damaged and become a waste material. And I don't think that really, really is effective. So the bottom line is I don't see any major uh, single activity that's going to push recycling forward. I think we're going to see incremental improvements. We're going to see additional materials, whether it's the electronic waste, food waste, or others being added into our recycling mix. And I think we're going to continue to see industry learn more and more, as it did with newsprint, how to accept these materials as as a substitute for the virgin raw materials. So again, it's going to be incremental is my feeling. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. 